Let's pray. God, thank you for this place. Thank you that you dreamed up the Bridge Fellowship and you knew for such a time as this, in this place with these people, you needed a church that would love on people and love on its community. And and that's what we will continue to do, Lord, until you come back to to get us. And uh, so thank you, God, that you have every one of us in this room today. I know it's not an accident, including me. Speak to our hearts, God. Use your words, not mine, to change our hearts from the inside out. We give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, it, it is not an accident that you're here today. And uh, sometimes, if we're not careful, we're guilty of falling into this trap where uh, we go through the motions, you know, like, oh, it's church, and like, we're checking our watch and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think it's different if you stop down for a minute, every time you come in here, like when we're worshiping, it's, it's easy to think that this part, what I'm about to teach is kind of the main course of the day. But when we're singing these songs, it's an opportunity for you to just kind of cleanse your mind and your heart from a, a heavy, difficult, busy, chaotic week and just start connecting with the Lord. And, and a great question to ask while we're singing those songs and even in the next few minutes is, hey God, what do you want to say to me today? Like, what is it that you brought me here to tell me? Because he brought you here for something. It's not just so you could punch your clock and, and, you know, check the box and say, okay, did church this week. God would never waste your time on that. And in fact, Jesus dying on the cross was way too expensive for you to just come in here and and for us to go through the motions. And so I'm telling you, God wants to tell you something uh, today. Hey, we're going to we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. If your flippers are in good shape or if you don't mind scrolling and changing and we're going to go th- all through the book of Genesis like six or seven different chapters. We're not reading all of them. Relax, okay? Uh, but um, we're going to be flipping all over and so if you want to do that, great. If not, relax. It'll be on the screens. Uh, but here we go, all right? Last week we kicked off this new series called waiting room. And over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to be looking at some people from the Bible who at one time or another, for one reason or another, had to wait on God. And the other thing we're doing over those, over those weeks is we're asking questions that all of us ask of God at some times in our lives. When, when we are asked by God to enter the waiting room, we ask questions like this, where are you, God? Will you please help me? Will you please answer me? Please fix this, God. Have you forgotten me? And, and, and all of us, every one of us in this room today can relate to questions like that in our relationship with God, whether it's new and we're kicking the tires and we're trying to figure God out, or whether we've been walking with God for decades, but it's still this pattern of, okay, I feel God, I feel like I'm in a good place with God, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the waiting room where God feels silent, and we want him to act, and we want him to, to fix things in our lives, and it feels like he's gone. And that's what we mean by the waiting room. Before we dive into today's message, I want to rewind for a second. In case you missed last week, here are some things that we've covered last week. First of all, every human being on earth has to wait 
from time to time. Waiting is a part of our lives. We just need to get over it. We wait in checkout lines, traffic jams. We wait for test results and paychecks. We wait for people to return our phone calls, our texts, and our emails. We wait for answers, relief, healing, progress, and much, much more. Nobody in here is immune to waiting. It's, it's one of those things that's just a part of life. But then, on a whole nother level, whether you're a believer or not, whether you claim to have a relationship with Jesus or not, sometimes we have to wait on God. Doesn't matter if you're a good person and do all the right things, or if you're somebody like me that seems to pick the wrong choice more than I pick the right choice. And, and all of us find ourselves in these moments, actually these seasons, because they can feel like eternity sometimes where we're waiting on God to act. And so here are a couple of really important things you need to remember for, that we talked about last week when you are in the waiting room waiting on God. Okay, number one, here it is. Whether you recognize it or not, God is always working in your life. You're not always going to feel it. You're not always going to hear him. You can't see him. It's not going to be quick microwave action all the time with God. But listen to me, he's working. In fact, if you're here today and you don't claim to have a relationship with God, in fact, you might be like I was 30 years ago and you're sitting here going, this is so a bunch of bull. This is just, come on. This is a fairy tale. Even if that's you, God's working in your life. He's he's doing what that song, Reckless Love, said. He's pursuing you. He's climbing mountains and he's breaking through walls and he's, he's pursuing you. He wants to know you. He wants to... He wants you to allow him to, to love you. That's, and, and he wants to do it so much, that's why he gave his only son to die in our place so it would be possible for you to have a relationship with him. He's constantly working in your life. And then we also talked about this. God's timing is different, better than my timing. And, and that's really the dilemma for all of us. That's really the frustration for us in God. Sometimes we say, God, I just don't understand your plan. God, I'm just not sure I I hear what you're saying. Sometimes that's the case, but more often than not, we crystal clear understand the plan. We just don't like it because it doesn't match ours. That's really the frustration for a lot of us. And, and it's amazing how faithful and patient God is because if we, me and you, if we were God and humans were as impatient and whiny as we are when we're asked to go into the waiting room, we would probably do like lightning bolts and like, I'm done with you, zap, you know, and you're like, you're on my nerves, zap, you're out. And, 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 and fortunately, God doesn't operate that way. He's patient and he's loving and he understands who you are. One of the reasons that Jesus never got frustrated with the disciples when they were following him, they were just, man, they couldn't get out of their own way sometimes, is he had very low expectations of them. He knew exactly what they were, broken, messy sinners. And that's why he never got bent out of shape when they acted like broken, messy sinners. And so here's some good news. The same is true for you and me today. God's not mad at you. But he's not changing his timeline to match yours. He's calling the shots. And the best thing that you and I can do is leverage all of our 
energy to getting to know him more, to walking closer to him on a daily basis, then his timeline won't bother us so much because our timeline will start to look more like his. And then, and then it's a lot better, right? So even if you don't agree with all that, uh, 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 even if you're sitting here today and going, I, I just don't know if I buy all that, that's great. God still cares about you. He has a plan for your life. He's got a perfect timeline where everything's going to fall into place for your good and his glory. He's working it. I'm telling you, he's working. Okay, then at the end of my message last week, I shared some things that I learned in a literal waiting room. Um, our family lost our patriarch, my father-in-law, 11 days ago. And uh, those few days that he was in the hospital, he had a massive stroke. And, and we literally spent three days in the waiting room. And I just wrote down some things that I was reminded of while we were sitting in the waiting room. And it, and it parallels and it matches this spiritual waiting room that we've been talking about. And so these are some of those real quick. First of all, most people in the waiting room are not in a very good mood. They're just not. They're, they're waiting on usually not good things. Time seems to crawl when you're in the waiting room, doesn't it? It just seems like forever. Uh, uh, the night that my father-in-law slipped into a coma I stayed the night at the hospital kind of on watch. My brother-in-law was in the room with him, but in case he needed a break or something, I was in the waiting room. And everybody went home that night except me. And I'm laying on one of those very comfortable benches that they design for you to get a good night's rest on. And it felt like I woke up every 17 minutes. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This night is going to last forever. When, when you're in the spiritual waiting room, time seems to take forever, but God is always right on time. Look at this one. Critical information is shared in the waiting room. Sometimes it's good information, sometimes not so good, like happened to us last week. Waiting rooms are places where people comfort one another. That's why we preach life groups and doing life together in authentic community here at the bridge because the waiting room is too much for one person on their own. And, and, and this world has taught you and me to act like we're tough and not let anybody see us sweat and certainly don't show our emotions or let people know when we're sad or when we're crying. But the reality is you can't do this on your own, especially the seasons when God asks you to spend time in the waiting room. We need other people to comfort us when we're in the waiting room. Waiting rooms are places where people are forced to trust in and lean on others. Those really go hand in hand because more, it's, it's a pretty well-known fact that you have people around you in your life that care for you if you'll let them. If you'll open yourself up and go, this is who I really am, and this is what I'm really struggling with, this is the scary, ugly stuff, there are people around you that aren't waiting there to judge you. There are some of those too, but don't worry about those, right? Every one of us has people that are arms open wide going, I got you. I got your back, and I'm not going to let you fall. We just got to be vulnerable enough to allow ourselves to be open to those people we got to learn to trust in and lean on others. And then finally, waiting rooms are places where old chapters of life end and, and new ones begin. And I mentioned last Sunday that I'm right down the hall, same floor from where my father-in-law was, uh, 
in, in you know, uh, uh, intensive care, there was a, a neonatal room where life is beginning, you know, and, and I thought about this week while I was studying, it's, it's not just about life and death, old chapters and new chapters could be your career or your marriage or what we just walked through, um, you know, you, when, when your kids are little, you can't wait to get them out of the house. And you're like, when will you be 18 and get out of here? I'm tired of feeding you and dealing with all your stuff. And actually, I know, like, when they're little, they're so cute and, and they're sweet and everything. And then, you know, they hit adolescence and, and literally you're like, I'm going to put you in a barrel until you're 18. And then I'm going to unlock it and you can get the heck out of here. But then when they do, you have conversations like this man it's quiet around here wish we had some teenagers in our pantry eating all our food right like like life is full of those moments where old chapters end and new chapters begin and and we get so tense and and worried about that because why do we do that because we're trying to control things ourselves if we'll let go and know that God's in control of everything he's got a perfect timeline we won't worry so much, even in those dark moments. And I'm not making light of empty nest or divorce or death or anything. I'm just telling you, God's bigger than all of it. The reason it gets the best of us sometimes is we don't hand it over to him. We play the, I got this game, and God knows that we don't have this. So today, uh, we're going to look at maybe one of the most famous waiting room stories of all. Last week, we talked about Joseph and how he had to wait on God in prison. Today, we're going to look at Joseph's great-grandpa, Abraham. And, and I don't know if you ever, ever do this, but sometimes I, I tend to read the Bible instead of in linear form, I read it like in these silos, like this is the story of Joseph and it's unrelated to any other story in the Bible. And this is the story of Moses. And it's not connected to any. And a lot of these guys, especially early in the New Testament, they're all related. Like they're, they're cousins and grandpas and brothers. And it's amazing, right? So, so Joseph last week, we're going to rewind to his great grandpa, uh, Abraham. And, and here's, the, here's some context and perspective of what's happening in the world as we open the pages on Abraham. First of all, not only is Joseph the great-grandson of Abraham, Abraham is the sixth-time great-grandson of Noah. So wrap your minds around that for a minute. Like, I used to get frustrated because of how things in the Bible, like if you start reading in Genesis and go all the way through to Revelation, not every book is in there in chronological order. And, and it can be frustrating, but it's kind of cool to know, like all these people were in this together. They're all trying to figure out who God is and trying to trust him just like we are today, thousands of years later. And so uh, it's now about 400 years after the great flood right? And, and God comes calling on Abraham, who at this time is not named Abraham. His name is Abram, uh, but we'll get to that as we go here today. What we pick up as God comes to Abram and gives him some marching orders. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is what the Bible says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. And then he stops and gives some promises here. He says, I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And look at verse 4, because this is really important. So Abraham went. He went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, uh, his relative, went with him. Now, we don't know every detail about this conversation between Abram at this time. Uh, Maybe he didn't obey God as quickly as it sounds here. The, The thing I want you to see today is this, he obeyed. And, and, and it's, it's, not that, it's not even that clear, right? Because God doesn't go like he did with me uh, four years ago. Hey, go to Colorado Springs and start a new church. He just said, go. Oh, okay, God, where? Just go. I'll show you. So can you imagine the conversation between Abram and his wife at that time, Sarai? He goes in, he goes, hey, honey, I got good news. We're moving. And she's like, okay, where are we moving? I haven't figured that part out yet, but God said move. He's going to tell us, so we're going. Now, you wives in here, and, and men, single men, teenage men, listen to me. Women crave and need stability. So walking into your wife with a conversation like we're moving, that's not going to go good by itself usually, right? But if you add, I have no idea where we're moving but we're going to move, that's recipe for disaster. That's recipe for couch for you for a while. You know, it's, it's just one of these. And, and yet, with all of those variables, the Bible says in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12, so Abraham obeyed God. He just said yes. Now, before we get very far into Abraham's story, here's the first takeaway today. If you don't get anything else, you need to know this. Obedience unlocks blessings from God. Just let that settle for a minute. When you obey, it unlocks blessings. Now, what we're not doing here today is teaching a performance-based gospel. What I'm not saying this morning is that when you obey God, He likes you. When you don't obey God, He hates you or He punishes you or He votes you off the island or whatever. That, that's not what we're teaching today. But I would not be a good pastor if I told you any different than this right here. Because this is truth. Obedience unlocks the door to greater blessings in your life. It doesn't mean that if you don't obey God, there's no blessings. What it does mean is, if you refuse to obey God when He tells you to do something, that means you're going to miss out on certain blessings that you could have been in line for if you would have just obeyed. So when we tell, uh, when we do what God is telling us to do, it positions us to be blessed in a way that we can't when we don't do what God is telling us to do. In other words, look at this. When we don't obey God, we forfeit blessings that He has waiting for us. And I'll prove it to you. Uh, after Abraham and Joseph and all this story, later on in Genesis, were introduced to a guy named Moses. And, and you probably know the story. He was, he was born a Hebrew, but he grew up in Pharaoh's home. And, uh, and then uh, he commits murder and he runs away and God chooses him to go back and, and set his captive people free. And he has to go back to the very land that he grew up in and, and say those famous words, let my people go. And he, he didn't want to do it. He didn't think he had uh, 
you know, the, the leadership ability to do it, but God called him, and so he did, and they go on this long journey, uh, 40 years of wandering as they, and God promised Abraham this, this multitude of nations, but also land, like he promised Abraham, in this story we're talking about today, I'm going to give you land, and it was initially Moses that God had chosen, keyword initially, it was Moses that God chose to lead these children into the promised land. And they're wondering, and the people get whiny, and again, thank goodness I wasn't Moses, but on this one occasion, and, and as you can imagine in the Middle East, one of the most scarce resources for them was water, clean water, and they were constantly whining for water. And finally, one day, Moses goes to God and goes, man, these people are going to eat me alive. We've got to give them some water. And God says to Moses, hey, you see that rock? And all these people, thousands of people are gathered. And they're like, we want some water, Moses. And God says, speak to that rock in my power, and I'll give you water. And Moses was so frustrated, he didn't totally f- trust God in this situation. He believed God enough that water could come out of that rock, but he didn't obey God on how to do it. And so he takes his staff, a big stick, and he strikes the rock and water pours out. And the people cheer and they're like, oh, yay. And then he doesn't stop at that disobedience, not doing it the way God told him to do it. He goes a step further. And instead of giving God the credit for the water, he basically, Steve's paraphrase says, you whiny Israelites, you're lucky to have me right? Because I can give you water. And he takes credit for it. And, and here's what I need to tell you about that story. When Moses disobeyed God, God didn't hate Moses. He didn't, he didn't write Moses off. There were other blessings that after this disobedience that Moses did receive, but the one blessing that he forfeited because of his disobedience in God, in that moment, is Moses had to stand before the people right outside the promised land and say, I don't get to go in. God told me, I'm going to die right here. And there's, there's this place called Mount Nebo where Moses is buried in the Middle East. And it's got this beautiful view of what is now, what we now know as, as where the Israelites live, the promised land as we, as we are told in Scripture. He got a great view from his gravesite, but he didn't get to go in. And don't miss this. God didn't take away the blessing from Moses. Moses forfeited the blessing because of his disobedience. Now, what does that mean to us? Because here's a fair question. How do I even know if it's God talking to me? Right? Let's, okay, fine. If God speaks, I should obey. But how in the world am I supposed to know it's him? A lot easier than you might think. And we don't, we don't have time to, to go into detail today, but I do want to give you some examples, okay? First of all, if you are walking with God, if you are even attempting to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to know what God is telling you to do, listen to your heart. Just listen. No, God has never spoken to me audibly. I will say that there have been a few occasions in my life where I believe God spoke louder than audibly, but it was just through my heart. And and we we feel these these proddings and, and these pushes in our heart, 
and we pass them off as a bad burrito or our conscience or whatever, right? But it's, it's God. He's talking to you. That's how he speaks to you. And what we need to learn is how to listen to our hearts when God is speaking. He speaks today just as much as he spoke back in Bible times. The problem is way more noise today. Way more chaos around us. But I'm telling you, if you'll create a quiet moment, or even there are times when you're driving down the road and you just feel this impression, probably God, don't sell it short. Don't just pass it off as something that it's not. Get wise counsel from other Christians. Like one of the best things you can do in your life is surround yourself with mature, godly people that you can go to and ask, Hey, I'm up against this decision. I need some help walking through this. All throughout scriptures, there are are picture after picture, story after story of people who went to other wise people and said, I need help on this one. And I would say this, I, I don't have, there's no scientific proof to back up what I'm about to say, but I'd almost guarantee you from Genesis to 2018, people who go and seek wise counsel Get, God's, get what God's telling them to do a lot more than people that don't seek counsel. The people that go, I got this, they stray off course a lot more than people that are willing to take time and go to a godly person and go, will you, will you help me walk through this? We, we, I'm just struggling with this. Right? See what the Bible says about that topic. If it's your career... God speaks about direction of life and and what you should be doing with your life all throughout Scripture. If it's about your marriage, He speaks on marriage. Like, there's so much about our lives. The Bible is not just a history book written to and for people thousands of years ago. It's a love letter and an an instruction manual for you and I today. All we got to do is read it. And, And I tell you guys this all the time. If you're trying to hear what God's telling you, don't start in Leviticus or Lamentations, okay? Like, you're going you're gonna to be lost and really depressed, frankly, uh, really fast. Don't start there. Start with something like Psalms or Proverbs or something in the New Testament like John or Ephesians or Galatians. Just start and, and get a version of the Bible that you can understand. And, and believe it or not, you wouldn't believe how powerful this thing called Google is. You, you can Google Scripture passages for fill-in-the-blank And you wouldn't believe what comes up. Like really smart people have taken the time to write this stuff down so that you can have an easier life and figure out what it is God's telling you to do. God just has a way of letting us know that he's speaking to us. Don't pass it off because more often than not, God's speaking to you. It's not the devil. It's not your conscience. God speaks to you all the time. He just wants to know if you really have your ear bent toward him and you're really listening. In fact, let me say this. If I had a dime, I'll prove what I'm saying is true. If I had a dime for every time someone comes up to me after a service and says something along the lines of this, are you reading my mail? I feel like you wrote today's sermon exactly for me. It seems like every time I'm in church, your message speaks to exactly what I'm going through at that moment. I have a secret for you. That's not me. I don't have that power. 
I just write the message. In fact, we knew this series was going to be this series eight months ago. I start writing two and three weeks out. I don't have a clue. Like, I'm not watching you, okay? I don't know what's going on in your life. That's God. Even in a moment like this, when, when, you, when you hear me say something and, and it, it pierces right through to the core of your heart, the safe answer every time that's not from Steve. That's from God. And that's why I say all the time, including today, God brought you here today to say something to you. Now, we're back to the real million-dollar question because the most important question is not, what is God trying to say to me? The most important question is, do I trust Him enough to obey when He speaks? Do I really trust him enough? Back to Abraham. You're going to see how this all falls out. Genesis 13. Uh, So uh, verse 14, we pick up this story and it says this. After Abram, his name's not Abraham yet, and Lot had gone their separate ways. There's a whole story there about Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. We just don't have time there today. But um, uh, the Lord said to Abraham in this moment, he said, and basically Abraham and Lot uh, split up this land and this is what God says to Abram. Look around to the north, the south, east, and west. I will give you and your family all the land that you can see. This is the land that Moses didn't get to go into. Uh, It will be theirs forever. Look, this is the first time we see this. I will give you more descendants than there are specks of dust on the earth. That's a lot of children. Let your mind wrap around that for a minute, okay? Like, I will give you more uh, ancestors or, 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 uh, you know, relatives that come after you then there are specks of dust on the earth and someday it will be easier to count the specks of dust than to count your descendants now walking back and forth across the land because i am giving it to you this is the first time we see god promise abraham descendants because in this moment when this is happening and abraham's walking around and and he's with lot and they split up the land and all that no kids Abraham has no kids at this point, okay? So don't miss that. Now, let's fast forward a couple of chapters and several years because we just saw a promise. I'm going to give you so many descendants, so many children, grandchildren, a hundred thousand times great-grandchildren, whatever, uh, that they're going to outnumber the specks of dust on the land. Now, fast forward years, years, not weeks or months, years, and pick it up in chapter 15, verse 1. Later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision. Abram, don't be afraid. I will protect you and reward you greatly. And look what Abram says. Lord, all-powerful, you have given me everything I could ask for except children. Still no children. And when I die, Eliezer of Damascus will get all I own. You have not given me any children, parentheses, you remember you promised, right? You, uh, uh, you have not given me uh, any children, and this servant of mine will inherit everything. The Lord replied, no, he won't. You will have a son of your own, and everything you own will be his. Then the Lord took Abram outside, and he said, look at the skies and see if you can count the stars. That's how many descendants you will have. And, and I can imagine, if I was Abram, I would go along with it. I would like, okay, God, let's see. And, and you start counting, and you have this moment, and you're going, wait a minute. It's impossible to count the stars. And God's going, exactly. 
I'm going to keep my promise and you're going to have more descendants than, than the stars in the sky. And it's at that moment where Steve, I'm not, I'm not placing this on Abram and I'm not even forcing it onto you, but that's the moment when I'm like, okay, I'm out. Come on, man, I'm getting old. I'm, I'm over 80 years old now and I don't have one kid. And you're trying to get me to believe right now that I'm going to have so many descendants that they're going to outnumber the stars in the sky. I don't buy it, God. And there are times in your and my life where it's not as big as descendants in the world. It's just whatever's going on in your life that has you in the waiting room and you get so frustrated and so tired of waiting as time crawls in the waiting room that you have a conversation with God that goes something like this. I'm out. I just don't believe you have my best interest in mind. Because if you did, God, if you really love me, if you really wanted the best for me, then this would happen. Fill in the blank, whatever your plan is. And again, what's happening there, and I'm confessing here, okay? I'm not projecting, I'm confessing. What's happening there is we're trying to impose our plan on God instead of going, I trust you. I trust you even when it makes no sense to my human brain. Because in this moment, I promise you, it did not make sense to um, Abraham when God said this. So he's growing a little impatient, right? And, and here's what happens sometimes when we get impatient in the waiting room. Just like us a lot of times, Abraham takes matters into his own hands. So let's pick it up in Genesis 16. Here's what happens. Now Sarai, her name's not Sarah yet, Abram's wife had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can fit, build a family through her. <laughs> the next part of verse 2 says this. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. I bet you did, Abraham. You're 80 years old and your wife's offering you her young, beautiful Egyptian slave. Okay. If you say so, Sarah, I'll go sleep with her, right? I mean, it's, it's one of these classic moments where, where Abraham, without really admitting it, is going, I'm running the show now. You won't give me kids? I'll have my own kids. I'll do it my way. Sound familiar? Verse 3, so Ab after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, watch what happens when you take matters into your own hands, or, parentheses, when you sleep with someone that's not your spouse, okay? When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for this, Right? Even though it was my idea, and you didn't take very long to go along with my idea, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And this is what Abram said. Your slave is in your hands. This is your problem. Do whatever you think best with her. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled. Hagar ran. Now, don't miss this, okay? We could stop with the moral of this story at life just works better when you sleep with your spouse and I sleep with mine. We could stop right there, okay? But there's a much bigger lesson for all of us to learn, whether you're married or not. Much bigger lesson right here, and here it is. When we take matters into our own hands, 
while we're in the waiting room, bad things usually happen. The wait, God's not brought you here today to try to convince you that the waiting room is not difficult. He, he's, not, he's not sitting you down today to go, hey, listen, it should be a, a barrel of monkeys while you're waiting on me to answer your prayers. Why are you complaining? It should be awesome. Don't you love waiting? He knows that we hate waiting. He created us. He knows that it's difficult. But he also knows if we take matters under our own hands, if we go, okay, I don't like how this is going, I'm running the show now, it's usually not going to end well. In other words, when we grab the keys back from God and say, I'm driving now, we usually end up running into a tree or a mailbox or off a cliff. Then when our life is a mess, we have the audacity to say, God, why did you put me here? When I was a little kid, uh, some of you are close in age to me, and you might remember this amazing invention called the green machine. Remember the green machine? It was basically a big wheel with a handbrake, and it was awesome because you could take off pedaling that thing, especially downhill, and then you could jerk that handbrake and do some 360s or just slide once into a fishtail and look really cool as you slide up. Now, I'm just telling you, it was the greatest toy for any kid in the late 70s in the history of the world. I'm just telling you, it was awesome. Well, my parents got my brother and I one for Christmas. And like any evil little children, we always snooped for our presents before Christmas. And we grew up in a very small home, so it was hard to hide things. And we knew all their hiding places. There was a shed out back and the attic over the garage, or the carport. And so we were latchkey kids. You know what that means? It means our mom and dad both worked. And so when we came home from school every day, we walked home from school as older elementary age kids and mom and dad were at work and we were on our own. And so we began snooping, and we found the green machines. And I was tired of waiting. So one afternoon, I talked my brother. I was the younger brother, but slightly more mischievous. I talked him into getting the ladder. We got up into the attic over the carport, and there they were. It glowed as I opened the, the carport attic, and there was the green machine. And we took them out of the box as carefully as we could, and we began to ride. And man, did we ride. And, and our, our road kind of, it was a slight downhill grade. It wasn't a total hill, but man, if you went up like four houses up and then started booking it down the street, you could get some speed. I'm just telling you. The bad news is, at the end of that street was a busy street in our town called North 6th Street. And, uh, and David, you know where that's at in Fort Smith, North 6th Street. And, and, and like, you don't want to take your green machine out into 6th Street because you're going to die. And, and I was headed down the hill on this afternoon of, of illegal green machine riding. And I'm pedaling and man, I jerk that, um, I jerked that handbrake and I knew I was going too fast. And so I kind of, uh, forced the green machine to the left and we had these huge, like three, four foot deep, ditches draining ditches and I just put I just parked it in the ditch man and I was just glad I was alive and literally I had to go to the trouble I we booked it back up we're like trying to wipe the scuffs off of it we're washing it because it's all muddy we're putting it back in the box and and we put it back in the attic and we're like we're all good we're all good see like I don't have to wait I can take matters into my own hands right well what I didn't know is as I was putting said green machine in the ditch 
a man was driving by that was the customer at the beauty shop where my mom worked. And he goes into the beauty shop a couple of days later, and my mom's cutting his hair, and they get on the subject of kids today. And this man goes, you know, just the other day, I was over on the north side of town, like around 6th Street in Homestead, and my mom's going, my house, what about it? And he goes, and these two little blonde-headed boys were riding green machines. I didn't get a green machine for Christmas that year. (laughs) Somehow, they disappeared between that day and Christmas. And heck no, I didn't mention it. But here's here's the moral, is that, listen, I know there's a temptation to go, I'm over this, I'm gonna drive now. It usually doesn't end well, right? I think what God is trying to tell some of us today is that this, if you will trust my plan, it's going to turn out okay. There's no reason to take matters into your own hands. There's no reason to get frustrated or mad. I promise you it will turn out good. Now listen, don't leave here today thinking I'm saying something other than this. He's not promising you'll get your way. That's not how God works. He's saying that I'm a good God and I will work it all out. Even the hard parts, I will work it out for your good in the end. Well, let's keep going because we're getting to the good part and we're about to land this plane. Fast forward a couple more chapters and now 13 more years. Abraham is now 99 years old and probably getting a little bitter at this point because he's 100 and I don't have one kid yet. Genesis 17 says this. God speaking again. He says, I promise that you will be the father of many nations. That's why I now change your name from Abram to Abraham. Names were a big deal back then. They meant something that always had a meaning. And Abram meant exalted father, but Abraham meant father of multitudes. And this is the moment where God is saying, I'm changing your name because I'm ready to keep my promise and give you these, uh, these, all these descendants. So keep looking. Verse 6 of Genesis chapter 17. It says, I will give you a lot of descendants and in the future they will become great nations. Some of them will even be kings. And look, I will always keep my promise I have made to you and your descendants because I am your God and I am their God. So now, after all of this waiting, here comes the promise of many descendants. But remember, remember, Sarah doesn't get pregnant until Abraham is 99 and she's 90. They're laughing. Literally, the Bible says they're laughing at this point that God would get them pregnant at this moment, right? Not only are they waiting and laughing, but they're also learning. They're learning. They're learning to trust God. Look at this. God will never waste the time that you spend in the waiting room. There is always something to learn while you wait. Maybe it's learning that God's way is better. Maybe it's learning that you don't know as much as you thought you did. Maybe it's learning to obey even when it doesn't make sense. When I began to study this week, I started in Genesis chapter 12 at the beginning of the story of Abraham. And I found this picture in my Bible. And I'd forgotten that I'd even written this in my Bible But if you'll notice, you can't see the one, but this is uh, Genesis 12. God promises a nation to Abraham. And this is what I wrote four years ago. God's calling on my life to go to Colorado, September 2014. Didn't want to go, but God blessed anyway. 
Sometimes what we learn in the waiting room is to obey God even when it doesn't make sense. And I, and I hope you don't take this personally. I didn't want to come to Colorado. I was comfortable. My kids were almost raised. I, I lived in the same house for 11 years. I had equity built up in my home. And I'm, listen, I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me or pat me on the back one iota. I'm just letting you know that sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that doesn't make sense. And you can obey or you can refuse. And all I'm telling you today is, if I had refused, this doesn't exist. And, and that's not on me. That's, that's glory to God. But there are moments in your life, and he's probably not asking you to move to, you know, North Dakota or New Jersey or something like that, but maybe he is. But he's asking you to do something. And you have a choice. Obey or refuse to obey. As we close, I I read you this last passage from Genesis 21. It says this, Now the Lord was good to Sarah and kept his promise. Although Abraham was very old, Sarah had a son exactly at the time God had said. Abraham named his son Isaac. And I don't know if you know this, but the name Isaac means laughter because they laughed that God would give them a child in their old age. And when the boy was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him just as the Lord had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And by the way, don't miss this sweet family tree. Listen to this. Remember? Descendants upon descendants upon descendants. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a son named Joseph who would one day have a great, 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 great grandson named Moses. And then the descendants would go on to be David, King David. And yes, Jesus. And you. Me. We all come from a promise to a guy who got bitter in the waiting room. But God kept his promise. You're proof of that today. And I don't know what you're waiting on. I told the band back there today, I was mad this week. It's been mad because I missed my father-in-law. And if you're new here and you're like, most people don't cry over their father-in-law, dude. He was so much more than that to me. And I feel like I've just entered a new waiting room. And it's silly because the scope of time that I'm going to spend apart from my father-in-law compared to eternity is so small. And even though the waiting room has just began, and by the way, although when I get to see my father-in-law again, I also get to see, you know, Jesus. No big deal. I just got mad this week. And here's what I got mad at. You're not doing it my way. He's doing it a better way. Even when he takes somebody you love or he changes your career or he doesn't send what you think you need in that moment, his plan is better. Look at this. 
trusting that God is good and has your best interest in mind is a much better life plan than choosing to go your own way and having to, God, having to ask God to clean up the mess over and over again. God doesn't promise us a perfect, easy, smooth ride. He knows we live in a broken world, but he does promise this. Even when we don't stick to the plan, God keeps his promises and still has our best interest in mind. May not turn out like you want. May take longer than you want. But that is the faithfulness of God. He gives us a plan. We don't like his timeline. We make our own plan, green machine. We make a mess. God comes back and cleans the mess up and in spite of our selfishness he still works it out for good in the end. God is good and faithful even when he asks you to spend time in the waiting room. Let's pray. God, our our human minds are so small and limited that it's hard for us to see the the whole picture sometimes and I think that's why we get impatient because we have this narrow view of our lives Lord and, and we have it all mapped out according to our simple minds and then you begin to move in our lives which sometimes includes seasons of waiting And we get frustrated because it doesn't match what we thought we wanted. But Lord, I confess today that even in those moments, you're not mad at us. You're not giving up on us. You're just whispering sometimes, whispering. My way's better. If you'll just trust me, I'm going to work this out for good even if it takes time to wait. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for loving us enough to have a a good plan for our lives, plan for hope and future, regardless of what we're walking through right now. Thank you, God. And thank you for not being impatient when we get impatient. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.